joining us today for the first time, we're in a series, actually coming to the end of a series in John, as Brother Bertram mentioned earlier, and it's called Superman HD, Superman HD, the HD um, doesn't stand for high definition or higher definition or highest definition, it stands for human and divine, and we're just trying in a, I suppose in a in a very normative sense, communicate something that is quite supernatural. How do we help ourselves come to understand who Jesus is? Well, hopefully this series has gone some way to, to contribute to that. I really struggled with the title for the message, and so here's one of my really long, kind of pretty complicated titles that hopefully will make some sense towards the end. Um... We're in John chapter 18. I heard someone say, you don't ask people to turn to the verse that you're going to be preaching on nowadays. You ask them to open their app to the verse. So, however, whether electronically or whether you've got an ancient copy of the manuscripts, that is a paper Bible. John 18, hopefully that gives you time to get there. Here's the title of the message. It's Jesus the Son, Jesus the Lamb, Jesus the King. And um, it's the sentencing of the innocent. So if if you're there with me, actually, before we read, let me do something else. Has any of you ever heard of Ricky Jackson? Ricky Jackson. Ricky Jackson is the longest-serving, wrongfully convicted prisoner in U.S. history. He was, he was 18 years old when he was sentenced to 39 years in prison. Well, he wasn't sentenced. He was sentenced, and he, and he did 39 years. He came out when he was 58 years old. It's when he was released. He spent... One year short of four decades for a crime that he didn't commit. A a statement suggested Mr. Jackson's mother, father, stepfather, and other relatives died while he was incarcerated. Imagine I said I had the privilege of being able to touch, hold, kiss, squeeze, love on my mum. And I'm saying... At 18 years old, that was taken away from him, and his mom died when he was still incarcerated. And <clears throat> on top of that, he was assaulted and physically injured while behind bars. It's an incredible story. I suspect at some point this will come out as a film. It has to. It has to. And although this is unprecedented in U.S. history, in terms... <clears throat> There he is, when he got released. Although this is unprecedented, like it's never happened before, that is the length of time he served. In terms of, in terms of recent history, in terms of ancient history, there's a story that's more famous. Hopefully you're in John 18. That was hopefully a long enough introduction for you to get there. Put on my glasses. I don't know what they're doing to these Bibles nowadays. The, the text is shrinking in my Bible. I don't know. It's true, isn't it, Marky? 
So John, we're actually doing John 19, but the, the portion, the, what they call the pericope, starts in verse 39 of John 18. So John 18, starting at verse 39, right through to verse 16 of chapter 19. <clears throat> Reading from the ESV. But you have a custom, says Pilate, says, says Pilate, that I should release one man for you at the Passover... So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, hail, king of the Jews. And struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man! When the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. We are now in the last... The last few hours of the earthly life of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Passover. And Jesus, he hasn't slept for over 24 hours. Anybody know what that feels like? It is approximately 6 o'clock now in the morning. Remember, the cockerel has just crowed on the back of Peter's denial. Remember? I mean, when the cocks crow early in the morning, right? And it's Friday. That is Good Friday as we know it. 
The Sabbath will start when? 12 hours later, right, that evening at 6 p.m. The upper room scene concluded at midnight the previous night. Remember the disciples kept falling asleep. Why? Because it's midnight. I mean, who wouldn't? They're tired. Midnight the previous night, at which time Jesus was actually arrested by the temple police. And like I said, he's been up all day up to that point and he's been awake. Six o'clock this morning after that, he's been up all night. Between midnight and 6 a.m., Jesus had faced trumped-up charges, if you remember, and false allegations. He'd been beaten up in custody. (laughs) So many things that Jesus can identify with, right? People be like, oh. Our text will cover the next six hours, from 6 a.m. to to 12 midday. From midnight last night until midday today, And Jesus has faced two sets of trials. There's been a number of trials, probably about six or seven, but it's been two fundamental sets. First of all, he's faced religious trials as he stood in front of Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest. And he's also faced, not just religious, but he's also also faced civil trial. And he stood before Herod and who? Herod and more importantly, thank you Bertram, Pilate. And this current trial with Pilate will take us up to noon. Pilate's examination of Jesus continues in our text from last week, where Bertram helped us tremendously. Look at verse 37. It says, Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. And he's pretty much agreeing to that. And he says, On that basis, he says, for this purpose, I was born, and for this purpose, I have come into the world. Now, that's beautiful, because he was born, naturally, like a normal human being, but he says he came (laughs) into this world. How many of us have, it's bad English, how many of us have came into this world? No, we didn't, in order for you to came or come, you would have to have been somewhere before you came. We didn't, we weren't, we were born We didn't exist before we were born. Jesus existed before he was born. In that one verse, we see Superman, human and divine. Right? Born, yet came. And he says, the reason he was born and came into the world was to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Wow. Verse 38, Pilate said to him, what is truth? Like cynically. After he had said this, Pilate, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, you know what, I don't know what all this noise and this fuss is about. I've had a chat with the guy. I can't really see nothing you know, in him that, you know, that, 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 that causes me to feel like we need to take this serious. I find no fault in the guy. Like, what's, your, what's the problem? Now, notice the scene. Jesus is now before Pilate who's the Roman procurator of, the, of this province, the province of Judea, which is Jerusalem, which is where Jerusalem's like the center of. And, and, and Jesus is there, Pilate is there, and standing outside are the very same ones who, who had falsely accused and ill-treated Jesus a few hours previously. You with me? These have now come to a climax in their commitment 
to kill Jesus. But they're restricted to carry out the death sentence. Because of the, because of the Roman law of the land. This is the praetorium. Which doubles as the governor's residence. But also it's the judgment hall. They, 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 they pretty much want to see Jesus finally judged. And in the back they've got a barracks for the soldiers. So I'm just trying to paint you the scene of the praetorium. It was, it was into this, remember, it was into this Gentile environment that the religious leaders wouldn't enter. So they're all outside the praetorium, right? Because <laughs> they don't want to be defiled. They were really big on externals, but not so big on internals. Um, and <clears throat> what is ironic is these unrighteous leaders... They stay outside and they're, they're completely, <laughs> they stay outside for fear of being defiled, but yet they're completely defiled. And Jesus goes in, and instead of being completely defiled, he's completely undefiled. It's ironic, isn't it? Verse 39, but Pilate says, okay, look, you got this guy. You're obviously, you look, at it. Look, at, look how many of you are out here. You're quite, you're quite serious about the condemnation of this man. And... <clears throat> He says, verse 39, he says, all right, I'm, I'm going to try and work with you. He says, look, there's a custom, right, that I should release one man for you at this season, at this feast, at the Passover, right? So he says, he says work with me. He says, do you want me to release, this is Pilate speaking to them, work with me, not me asking you to work with me, although I do want you to work with me. Pilate says to them, he says, look, he says, do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And notice the reference he uses for Jesus. It's like he's trying to still figure out what's going on. He asks Jesus. Jesus says, it's king, fair enough. I'll refer to him. Maybe he doesn't even know his name. I don't know. He's like, do you want me to release um, the, the king of the Jews? And, <clears throat> and it's funny because, you know, possibly Pilate sarcastically refers to this prisoner as a king, right? Because we just read that in verse 37. And Pilate's sarcasm... It infuriates these committed Jews who, again, apart from Jesus, they've also been up all night. You get a bit ratty, right, when, you, when you've not had no sleep. But these guys are ratty for more reasons than one. And <clears throat> so I, I think the reason I mention is that to show you how committed they are to seeing this Jesus dealt with, right? These are those that John had been consistently referring to in this gospel up until this point, as those who were perpetually persuaded against Jesus. They were antagonizers protecting their own personal interests and using the people for their own twisted purposes, hiding behind a religious smokescreen. I mean, these men were ruthless. In John chapter 7, just to remind us, 7, verse 13, oops, John chapter 7, oh, I was trying to show you the verses before I forgot I had them. John chapter 7 verse 13, it says, For fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him, that is Jesus. Like I said, these guys were ruthless. In John 9 verse 22, it says, <clears throat> For fear of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. John 7 verse 1 says, The Jews were seeking to kill him. 
But notice the consistent reason given by these leaders, at least by their own confession. John 5 verse 18, it says, This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. Making himself equal with God. In their minds, this was a travesty. And to add to that, in John 10.33, it says, The Jews answered him, speaking to Jesus, because they want to kill him, they want to stone him. They say, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you. But for, you see their intention? But for blasphemy. Because you being a man make yourself what? See, and this is John's argument throughout the whole book all the time. But they are not having it. They are out to kill him. And as I said, Pilate's sarcasm, referring to him as the king of the... Oh my gosh. <laughs> that, this, this infuriates them. And look at their response to Pilate's suggestion of releasing Jesus, their quote-unquote king. <laughs> him or Barabbas, who's a well-known convicted criminal, verse 40, they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. The text says, now Barabbas was a what? He was a robber. Barabbas or this man? Which would you have? Wow. And they say, no, we don't want him. We want Barabbas. Give us the robber. Give us the criminal. And take the man who's innocent. Take the king who's innocent. This shows us a few things. One, it shows us the depravity of the individual that is Barabbas, right? Two, it shows us the depravity of these religious leaders. And three, it shows us the depravity of every human being. This man Barabbas was a criminal. He'd broken the civil law, but he had also broken God's law, right? Which one of the laws had he broken? Take you back to children's church. Which of the commandments is you mustn't rob? The eighth commandment. Amen. So he, as an individual, is guilty. Secondly, the depravity of the, the religious leaders. They were falsely accusing an innocent man and demanding the release of an evidently guilty man. An openly, blatantly guilty man. I mean, they were actually, if you, if you check it, they're no better than Barabbas. I mean, they were also criminals because right now we see them breaking God's law. Do you know what I'm saying? By being unfair in their treatment. And, and, and was it Jeremiah that says, you know, like it's terrible when you have those who, 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 who replace evil for good and good for evil. But apart from Barabbas, the individual, and, and these religious leaders... How about our depravity? Aren't we just as guilty? Guilty of, because you look at Barabbas, yeah, he's a robber, he's a criminal, he's a this, that, and the other. These wicked men, but aren't we guilty of breaking the law? Um, spiritually, and even sometimes the civil law, like Barabbas. But then like this group of individuals, we're also guilty of choosing to kill Jesus. And how do we do that? We do that by sinning. You know what I'm saying? From envy to lies to adultery 
to murder. And it's one thing when we do these things before we know about Jesus, and I'm saying, or the Bible, or God. And there's a price to pay for that. But then it's also another thing, isn't it, for us as believers to know um, just how sin affects God. And yet we continue to sometimes still do that. Um, I'm just saying, we can't really point the finger at these, these men. We're all depraved, aren't we? Did you know that Barabbas, the word, has a very obscure meaning? Well, it's, maybe it's not even that obscure. You might miss it. So let me just highlight it. Bar means what? Son of. And Abba means what? Father. Abba, father, Barabbas. Basically, Barabbas means son of the father. But Jesus was also son of the father. So which son of the father are they screaming for? See the irony? As they were saying, give us Barabbas, give us the son of the father. As they were saying it, they knew what they were saying. They were saying, give us Jesus, the son of the father. How that must have silently spoken to them. Nonetheless, they didn't mean Jesus. They meant the robber, give us Barabbas. Now here in our text, we see them make their first wrong choice. Now, that was choosing Barabbas over Jesus. Now watch them make their second wrong choice. Verse 39 mentioned the fact that it was the time of a special feast. What was that? Passover. And we see the Passover in Exodus 12, when each household was to take a lamb. But notice, not any lamb, because it couldn't have a broken foot or be blind in one eye. It had to be completely without blemish. It had to be completely spotless. It had to be perfect lamb right an unblemished innocent lamb and it was on the 10th day that they would take this lamb but when did they actually slaughter the lamb for a sacrifice four days later they slaughtered the lambs on the 14th day of the month right why four days separation well it was an opportunity to examine the lamb it was time to make sure, because how many of you, you can overlook stuff, right? So here's, here's a good amount of time for you to make sure the lamb that you had chosen was completely without blemish. It was a time of examination. And notice, this is Passover, right? Where not just the lambs, plural, would be examined, but the lamb, singular, was being examined. Remember what John the Baptist declared? John the Baptist said at the beginning of our book, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, who incidentally takes away the sin of the world. When John said this, this was helping everybody to to see that all of those lambs in the past were actually a picture of this, the Lamb. Jesus, the Lamb of God. Pilate's his first response upon examining the lamb, Jesus, 
Verse 38, what did he say? He says, I've examined him. I've examined the lamb. I find no fault with him. He's unblemished, isn't it, Marky? If that's what Pilate concluded, why then does he respond the way he does in verse 1 of chapter 19, if you look at our text? Sometimes you've got to be careful of the chapter divisions because they kind of break the line of thought. There's no broken line of thought. It's continual line of thought. If you conclude, Pilate, there's no, you find no fault in him, then why, verse 1, does it say, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him? This begins to give us some insight into the cowardice into the double-minded, people-pleasing personality of Pilate. If you like, verse 40 describes Barabbas. Verse 1 describes Pilate. Jesus, an evidently innocent man, is now taken and scourged. Now you guys may or may not be familiar with scourging. Scourging. Scourging was punishment slash torture that was inflicted by the Romans. And they were really good at this. And they would take what they call the cat and nine tails, which is pretty much like a baseball. Like a, do you remember them little rounders back that we used to use back in the day playing softball or whatever? The little half one. It was a bit like that. And then on the end, it had these strips of leather where they, put, where they placed bone and bits of glass, bits of metal, and they called it a flagellating. They take this after tying the criminal to a post. They did it in different ways. Sometimes they'd hang the criminal. I don't want to hang up, pull up my hands. I feel like the man in the, in the, in the short advert. Look, look, look at the way I'm sweating up here. So they'd, put, they'd, they'd tie him up like this, and he'd have his back exposed to the, the lashes from the, this flagellating whip, right? Or they would actually hang them up in the air so they were dangling. That was to get maximum stretch on the skin. And before they actually flagellated them, they would beat them with rods. In another gospel, it says Jesus was beaten with rods. And it was a little bit like pulverizing meat when you're getting ready to cook it. Softening up the flesh. And then once they begin to, to flagellate, and remember, these guys are, they're, they're, I was going to say they're like me. They're not like, I'm not hench. They were brolic. These guys were built, you know what I'm saying? And they were proficient at this. Because sometimes they'd use scourging to actually extract, um, what is it when you've, when you've done something wrong, and a confession. They'd use it to extract confessions. You know what I'm saying? And it would be like, they'd give 39 lashes, and halfway through, if, you know, if a man is guilty, he'd be bawling, and he'd be confessing everything, and they'd potentially show mercy. But if not, they go the whole way. I said the whole way. It's 40 lashes, really, but they'd give you 39 for mercy, just in case they went over. And every time they'd hit your skin with that whip, guess what the whip would do? It would stick to your back, and then they would pull the whip out, tearing the flesh. They say by the time you got to 15, 20 lashes, you were already beginning to expose muscle, sometimes even intestines, 
and organs like the lungs. You could see them beating and moving in the back of an individual's. Some, some, some men, didn't, they didn't survive the scourging. And you can see why. If you haven't seen the passion of the Christ, I would say, watch it, but brace yourself before you watch it. Um, but I would encourage you to watch it. I've watched it once, and I've tried to watch it again. And, and this is the scene, particularly, that I cannot bear. It's so horrifying. Scourging. You see how, you can see how many words in that verse? So, they, so Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. You see how you could read over that? Verse 2, and the soldiers, if that wasn't enough, twisted together a crown of thorns and they placed it on his head. Now, back in, in Jamaica, and I've seen it in Nigeria, they got, they got a plant. In, in Jamaica, they call it Kasha Maka. And it's got some, it's got some brutal thorns on it, like two, three inches long. This is the type of plant that someone, one of the soldiers, you know what I'm saying, jovially probably ripped off a bush that was right by and thought it clever. I mean, he's a king, right? Thought it clever to put a crown of thorns on Jesus' head to signify that he's a king. And you, you notice when you look at the Caesars and the pictures, they used to have a wreath on their head, right? Or the, the athletes and so on. And, and this is a throwback to what? Think the first time you see a reference of thorns in the Bible. In the garden. They shouldn't have, they shouldn't, well, actually, the reference is in the garden, but the experience is outside of the garden because Adam and Eve were living in a perfect environment. It's when they stepped out of that perfect environment because of their sin that they begin to experience. God says to Adam, and I'm saying, because of your sin, the ground, you know what I'm saying, in order for you to cultivate it, it's going to, you're going to do it by the, it's going to be hard work by the sweat of your brow, and it's also going to bring forth these thorns and thistles. I'm saying, and it's and, and it's a picture of the fall. And notice, wow, that Jesus is now taking the fall for man. It's deep and. Like I always try to preach a message within the message ends up preventing me from preaching the message. So if I could leave it at that. It also says, um, apart from putting a crown of thorns on his head, they arrayed him in a purple robe. It's, it's a robe and it's purple. Significant of nobility and royal status. Pretty much... What are they doing? They're mocking him. It's like, hopefully, you know, sometimes we use words in throwaway fashion, like, ah, oh, you're mocking it. Ah, you know what I mean? Now, when we use those words, it's really quite flippant until you put them in their proper context. You know what I'm saying? Like, for someone to be mocked is not funny. You know what I mean? Particularly on the level that we see Jesus being mocked, knowing that he's not just a king by Pilate's definition. 
Verse 3 says, they came up to him saying, and if you read the other Gospels, there's so much more detail, but I'm trying to keep it focused on what John is saying, because John says what he says for a reason without adding all of the other stuff. It's tempting to bring in all the other stuff. Verse 3, it says, they came to him saying, Hail, king of the Jews, your king. (laughs) And you look like one. He looks like a king, don't he? Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Is it a contradiction? How are you going to strike a king? They're mocking him. It would be bad enough just having to endure the pain of torture. I mean, Jesus has been tortured up to this point. If you understand scourging and you understand what's taken place in the, the previous six hours from midnight to 6 a.m., It'd be one thing, you know what I'm saying, to endure just the pain and the torture physically, but to also experience public humiliation. I mean, psychologically, like on this level, this is utterly inhumane. Yeah, amen. But this is a beautiful horror. It's the perfect fulfillment of that which was predicted earlier by the prophets. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6 to 7 says, I gave my back to those who strike me, and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I hid not my face. Wow, I would have hidden my face. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me. Man. I don't go through half that kind of stuff. And instead of turning to the Lord who helps me, I will murmur, complain. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have, I have not been disgraced. See, in the grand scheme of It's one thing looking at things from a limited Natural point of view. It's another thing looking at things from a God's eye point of view, right? I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. Isaiah 53, classic, right? Actually, 50, 51, 52, and 53. 50, chapter 53, verse 3 to 6 says, and he, says, He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. This weren't even the first time that Jesus had endured difficulty. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Speaking generally of the Israelites, the Jewish people, right? Verse 4, he came to his own and his own received him not, right? Verse 4, surely... He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, with those lashes... We are healed. I would say fundamentally, spiritually. Some will take this, probably run a bit too far with it, saying that means we can have physical healing. I think it gives us the the, the possibility of physical healing, but fundamentally, 
This healing is spiritual. Verse 6. All we like sheep. No, it's not some of us. Not just the, the guys. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him. What about laying it on those who deserve it? Well, this is God's grace, as Pete mentioned earlier. The Lord, lay, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And classic, wow. Genesis 3. This didn't even start with the prophet Isaiah. This goes all the way back to Genesis, actually before then. Genesis 3.15 says, God speaking to the serpent when he curses him. He says, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman. And between your offspring, did you know that the serpent, the devil has offspring? And between her offspring, the woman's offspring. Now, wait a minute. Do the, the women have offspring? No, the men have the offspring. But this woman will supernaturally have offspring. Her name's Mary. Because she'll be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a, a unique son. That is her offspring. That is Jesus further down the corridors of time. He shall bruise Satan, your head. And you, though, will bruise his heel. And this is what we are actually seeing take place in John 19. Jesus was the Lamb of God who, through his sacrifice, would take away the sins of the world. Who wants to get their sins removed? Well, the Bible says there's only one way. Acts chapter 4 verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved apart from the name of Jesus. And the strange thing is this. They mocked him, calling him a king. For the second time, notice the irony. He is the sacrificial lamb, but he's also the king. Revelation chapter 15, verse 1 to 3. Oops. Oh, I did not put that up for you. Shame on me. Revelation 15. He's also the king. Verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. This is a picture of the last times. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. It was hard to describe this stuff. John didn't have the words. And also those who had conquered the beast and his image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps, with harps of God in their hands. And notice verse 3. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the who? The lamb saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O what? King of the nations. And we know that Jesus is referred to not just as the king. He's the king of all kings, isn't he? Psalm 2 further adds to that, adds weight to that. Psalm 2 verse 1 to 12 says, Why do the nations rage 
and the people's plot in vain. How many of you know, again, this is what's happening in John 19, right? The kings or the rulers of the earth, they set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. I mean, Herod and Pilate were brethren at this point because they had a common enemy, you know what I mean? But yet they were, they were, yet they come together. They take counsel together against the Lord, that is God, and, and against his anointed. Now, if you know anything about your Old Testament, you know that the anointed was a reference to who? In, in its Old Testament context, who? The king. Because it's the king that was member. Here comes Samuel. Like, okay, Jesse, apparently your son is to be anointed, to be anointed, you know what I'm saying, the next king. He's like, where is he? And the whole story about him. And then he take David eventually comes out at first, they, eventually, and, they, and they anoint him with oil. He is, because before, Sam is like, the Lord's anointed must be standing before me as he looks as the big strapping brothers. Here, here I go again. David was anointed as he, and he would become the king. And so this is a reference. Look, you've got the kings of the earth setting themselves up against the king, God's anointed, right? Who is, incidentally is the second member of the Trinity, if you look carefully at verse 2. But verse, if you drop down to verse 6, it says, As for me, I have set, this is, the, this is the Lord God speaking, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill, I will tell of the decree, and this is what David, this is what Jesus quotes and flummoxed his, 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 the, the, the individuals who were tempting him and testing him. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Verse 8 of that son, he says to that son, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession." It's amazing. Jesus, Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Why? Because the Father's given them to me. Oh, it's too much. He says, he, says, he says, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Pilate, Caiaphas, David Cameron, Donald Trump. You know what I'm saying? He says, he says, be wise. He says, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Verse 12, kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him, in the son who is the anointed or the king. God's king, that is. This is the son of the father. This is the lamb of God. But this is also the king of the Jews. You know, Jesus is the ultimate servant of the Lord. The Jews were really confused by the Messiah. In a sense that they expected Messiah or the anointed one or the king, when he was to come, he would crush all of God's opponents. And there is truth in that. 
But when the Messiah came the first time, they missed it because they were looking for a, a kingdom crusher. Not knowing that it's one Messiah, but two comings. The second coming, he's going to crush everybody, everyone who's on the other team, right? But his first coming, he comes as a suffering servant. And it causes a lot of confusion when you don't understand that. You easily miss Jesus. You miss who, and this is exactly what happens here. See, it's one Messiah, sorry, and two comings. He will come as king, but first he will come as a suffering servant. Now, just as a note about the suffering, or the, 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 the servant or the suffering servant, especially as it relates to his appearance. Remember, Jesus is standing there after being brutalized. Isaiah 52, verse 13 and 14 says, Now, remember, we're talking about the servant of the Lord, right? He says, Behold, my servant, speaking about the same person, shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted, second coming, as many were astonished at you, right, verse 14. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, first coming, suffering servant. Here's another translation, that's the ESV, the NLT beautifully says, but many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know that he was a man. That's how brutalized Jesus was as he was standing there. Back to our text. The soldiers will now lead Jesus out of the praetorium to the outside area, again, where the Jews are gathered. That You see this outside and this inside business. The soldiers, <clears throat> and, and, and notice, they're followed by Pilate. Verse 4, Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. How many times have they said that now? Twice, holy. Mark said holy. Twice, right? And I want you to note how he looks as he's standing there. Jesus is messed up. You can't even recognize him at this point. Like when you watch The Passion, know that as you're turning away and you can't cope, know that it was probably worse. I suspect when Pilate was sitting in his headquarters and they were scourging Jesus in the courtyard, Pilate felt every lash. He winced at every single blow. And he presents Jesus... Verse 4, Pilate went out again and said to him, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Now, wait a minute. Pilate, again, Bridget, you find no guilt in him, then why did you scourge him? Why have you allowed the soldiers under your authority to treat an innocent man so horrendously? And how many times has he now communicated Jesus' innocence? Twice. If you like, the lamb has no blemish. I've inspected him. I've examined him. No blemishes. Verse 5. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, 
Behold the man. Sometimes it's really hard to determine how he said this. What was his motivation for saying it when he said it? Behold the man. I can't help. Every time I hear this, I can't help. But remember John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the man. Some say it was Pilate's desire to release Jesus. And, you, and, you, and there's strong argument from the text to back that. But he couldn't. He couldn't release Jesus because of the pressure of the Jews. And possibly expecting them now to have, look at Jesus, to have mercy on him. Look at him. Because of the severity of his punishment through scourging. He's hoping that they're going to have mercy. Jesus is virtually unrecognizable. There are no words to vividly describe just what everyone was now staring at. Although it, it should have been mildly reminiscent of something that at least for the Jews they were very familiar with. At least historically, which was animal sacrifice. And maybe know in the temple, when they were sacrificing those animals, like blood, that's exactly what you saw everywhere. That's why, that's, wh- that's why they had the big brazen, King James, bronze laver. It was like a big bowl filled with water. Because the priest had to constantly go over there and wash off the blood from the slaughter of these animals. There was, I mean, there was blood. You could, like, there was the smell of iron everywhere. It was everywhere. Blood and guts and entrails and hoofs and heads. It was like everywhere. Now, that should have struck a chord in those who were looking at the Lamb of God butchered. Could Pilate, at this point, be indirectly, could he be pleading for Jesus' life? I mean, when you see an innocent lamb being... My my stepdad would never eat lamb. And the reason he never ate lamb was because of the way lambs died when they were killed. It's it's one thing, like, you kind of got a sheep who's older or a goat, like goat. You know, goats will kick and buck, if you know anything about goat. But, But lambs... They just, they just lie there, and they let you execute them. They don't fight. They don't struggle. That's why my dad never ate lamb. And could it be that, that, that Pilate's looking at Jesus, and he's thinking, my gosh, like, I'm a Roman procurator. Like, like I'm like Ming the Merciless. Yet I'm here thinking, this is too much, man. I'm saying, could, could Pilate be coming to his senses? Remember earlier, Pilate's wife had a dream saying, you know, don't have nothing to do with this righteous man, you know. Trust me, I, I saw it in a dream. Don't have... Could Pilate now be saying, haven't we punished him enough? And we could say the same, right? Like, enough, man, enough now. Surely there has already been enough blood shed. But you see, in order for these prophecies that we've been reading and others in order for them to be fulfilled this is not enough
in order for the prophecies to be fully and completely fulfilled, enough blood ain't been shed yet. Behold the lamb who would be what? Slain. There's still yet more pain and suffering for the lamb to endure. Some say Pilate was actually saying, Behold the man. Like, this is a real man. All that he's endured for the past 30 hours, and he's still standing. Remember that the soldiers would beat you to an inch of your life. And he, and Pilate, like, is he still, st- st- still standing? Behold the man. Pilate be like, you know, I couldn't have taken what this brother's taken. Pilate, as, as cowardly as he is being, right, submitting to the will of the mob against his better judgment. Remember, Pilate is a soldier, you know who has probably fought his way up through the ranks and he's seen many a battle. And he survived. He'd be like, he'd be like Maximus Decimus Meridius. You know what I'm saying? Like he is, he's a soldier who is probably, and he is in one sense, he's a man's man. I mean, in one sense he ain't, but in another sense he's a man. And it, I mean, if you know, it takes a man to know, to know one. He says, behold the man. And he's, and he's more of a man than any of you lot standing out here. That is the crowd. Well, is the crowd about to respond to Pilate's plea for justice and mercy? Verse 6. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Whoa. Yeah, for real, too much. The man's ex- he's experienced enough. No, they didn't say that. They said, crucify him, crucify him crucify him see this would this would have been somewhat of a chant that got louder and louder and clearer and clearer the people as it were with one voice and then seemingly in utter frustration Pilate says to them all right then all right all right all right all right all right I get it he says to them take him yourselves and crucify him because I find no guilt you lot take him and deal with him See, can you hear his frustration? Now, they couldn't. This was a stupid suggestion because this would have been against Roman law for them to take him and kill him. Evidently, Pilate was now at the end of himself, forgetting himself even. The Jews now seeing Pilate's frustrated pleas for a stay of execution, they don't turn it down. They begin to turn it up. That is the pressure. Verse 7, the Jews answered him, we have a law, you know. Pilate, you want to go? You want to take this to another level? We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Now, the law that they said he was contradicting was Leviticus 24, and it's true. You can't try and declare that you're another God unless you actually are God, right? And, and it's really smart what they're doing here. If there's... If there's one thing to say about these Jews, right, they are consistent, right? Because remember, we read earlier from the the, the earlier parts of John, pretty much the same thing, the whole thing about um, 
The reason why they wanted to kill him was because he made himself equal with God in yellow. He was making himself God, right? So they're being consistent. Verse 8, when Pilate heard this statement, oh my gosh, notice, he was even more afraid. So that means he was, sh- like he was really worried about this before. Now he's even more afraid. And why, and why would he now be more afraid? Because they're pulling on the strings of superstition. See, they had a superstition in Rome that from time to time the gods came down and they visited. And now Pilate's thinking, like, remember, he says he is even more afraid. He was afraid before. He couldn't figure out this. Now he knows who he, he's... The, the person he, didn't, he was flippantly talking about, wasn't really sure about, is, is worrying him now. I remember, we're talking about six, this is a six-hour period. This guy's worrying him now. And, and the superstition was, oh my gosh, could this actually be one of the gods come down? And, and imagine, I mean, Pilate is Pilate. I mean, you, he comes out and he's like, yeah. Now Pilate is in the back room and he's like, oh my, like, like what is happening here? He probably can't even go out and face Jesus now because could it be one of the gods has come down? <laughs> you see how smart these Jews are? Verse 8, when Pilate heard this statement, he was more afraid. How many of you know our boy P is in a dilemma? What will he do? He, notice, he wants to please the people. He has evidently got grace for Jesus. right? He's a bit concerned that Jesus is possibly literally a god. Right, he has to fulfill his role as the procurator, like he's tied up in knots. Look, but he also needs to listen to his wife. Right, talk about pressure. (laughs) The last one, particularly, verse nine. He entered his headquarters again because he. What's he going to do? And he says to Jesus, (laughs) "He's like, where are you from?" Now, I'm saying possibly this is um this is this is. conversationally a move in the direction of building relationship. You know, you meet someone, you're like, one of the questions you ask them, oh, where are you from? You know I mean? You're building relationship. Well, I don't think that's really what's going on here. Probably this is a question that's related to Jesus' origination. Like, are you a, are you a God come down? You know, like, remember, he's afraid. But Jesus gave him no answer, which probably made things worse. How forever frustrating, but notice, quickly possibly turns to offensiveness for Pilate, like, because he's like, wait a minute, I'll ask you a question, you're not trying to answer me. Remember, all of a sudden he he remembers who he is, right? And he's like, divinity or no divinity, you know what I mean? I'm trying to help you out here. I'm trying to save your life, and you don't want to answer me. So now completely exasperated, verse 10. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? He says, do you not know that I have the authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Verse 11, Jesus answered him, um, you, 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 um, you actually wouldn't have any authority over me at all. <laughs> See, at all. Unless it has been given to you from above. I mean, my man railed up on you. Do you not know that I have the power? Can you imagine what Jesus could have actually said to him? Knowing Knowing who Jesus is. You see the humility of our savior. The one that we're supposed to emulate. And not jump out of our car when someone cuts us up like, do you know who I am? 
Wow. He says, if Pi- see, if Pilate was afraid before, <laughs> he's now probably about to wet himself, right? Because the question, like, where are you from? Jesus kind of answers it. Yeah. I'm from, I'm from, I'm otherworldly. Listen. You know, Pilate's proper worried now. Jesus, the one who, if you were looking at the scene, notice without, if you're looking at the scene without knowledge of the circumstances, right? who would look strong here and who would look weak? Like, if, this, if there's no sound on or you just jumped in and you looked, see the procurator standing there in his armor with his, with his little Roman half sword and his skirt on and his, and his, his sandals, his sandal things on, right? Standing there. And you see Jesus... Like, you can't even recognize him. Messed up. Who would, you, who would you suggest was strong? And who would you say looks weak? But it's actually the reverse. Pilate, the people, the religious leaders out there barking, including the high priest. None of them are powerful. Consider even those who cannot be seen visibly. Remember Genesis 3, the one that was cursed? The real enemy of God, Satan, the devil. He's probably walking around feeling like, if you watch The Passion of the Christ, there's some, some guy in there that's supposed to be the devil. He walks around like a peacock. He don't even walk, he glides. I swear he glides in the film. You know what I mean? Like, but, but who is actually strong here? You know what I'm saying? They all seem powerful. And they're jockeying, vying, jostling, elbowing for power. But it's the one who seems weakest that is actually the strongest. John 10, incredible. Verse 17 to 21. For this reason the Father loves me, says Jesus, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Jesus, incredible power in absolute weakness. It's a conundrum. Acts chapter 2. Oh my gosh. Acts 2, verse 22 to 23. Men of Israel. This is Peter standing up and he's preaching. And he's telling them what they did a few days ago when they killed Jesus. Right? So this is looking back on Jesus. It's looking back on all that's taking place now. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works. That's how you know. And wonderful signs that God did that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Wow. <laughs> Talk about pointing the finger and like digging it in. Verse 23. This Jesus, just so you're clear. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That's, this brings together the 
the tension between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. See, who's responsible for handling Jesus the way they pilot these, these, these priests, the people? How they, Barabbas even. Barabbas shouldn't have walked free. He should have said, no, nah, man. You know what I mean? I'm guilty. No, 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 no. Like, put a stop to this right now. Like, everybody. Like, who made them do it? They did it themselves, and every single one of them is culpable. But in the midst of it, God is working out his perfect plan. It's it's scary. Like, the sovereignty of God and and the responsibility of man is a scary. All we can do is say, let me not so much try worry myself about God's part, the sovereignty part. Let me just worry about my part. The responsibility part. That's enough for me to handle and think about. Because you'll give yourself brain damage trying to figure out, you know what I'm saying, how both of them are working together and at the same time be completely distinct. Jesus is the son. Jesus is the lamb. Jesus is the king. To Pilate, Jesus says, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, He who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Okay, we're nearly done. Who is this? Well, it's possibly a reference to Caiaphas. Because Caiaphas represents pretty much those who were responsible, as Peter says, you know what I'm saying, for bringing Jesus to this quote-unquote place of unfair justice. You know what I'm saying? And he's the one who actually said, we heard it earlier, um, I can't remember who was preaching that week, but he said, you know, somebody must die for the sake of the people. <laughs> Someone's got to take the fall. It ain't going to be me, you know what I mean? So him, we suspect, is, is who Jesus is speaking about fundamentally. But there's another distinction here. See, everyone in the scene is sinful, right? Not just Caiaphas. Remember, everyone's culpable. The same is also true, not just for them, but for us sitting in this room. As we sit slash stand along with these as historical spectators. Now, Pilate will try for the last time. Verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, you know. And again, the Jews are resolute in their defiance. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. This is, this is, this like, this is, talk about the, verse 13. So when Pilate heard these words, that was it. He brought Jesus out. He sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the stone pavement in in Aramaic, the Gabbatha. See, Pilate has now given up all resolve and takes his place as just a pawn in the game, justifying his title as the puppet ruler. Verse 14, now, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, right? This is midday now. Six hours later, half-day ordeal. Pilate is exhausted. The people are exhausted. Jesus is exhausted, you see that in the Psalms. Pilate now pronounces judgment in more ways than one. He said to the Jews, again, behold your king. Can you see that Pilate still clutches at the strings of power? It's like him saying, Jesus has left me dumbfounded. You know, I'm at a loss. 
to who on earth he is. And I may be somewhat defeated by him, but you know, I still have the upper hand over you Jews. Behold your king. You see the sarcasm. Then, then in similar fashion, for the final time, the Jews defiant, verse 15, they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. In that statement, they now communicate really where their hearts are at. They don't want God for their king. So I should say they don't want Jesus for their king. Fundamentally, they don't want God for their king. Jesus said to the Jews earlier, he says, if you believed in Moses, because they kept saying we believe in Moses. He says, you lot, you're hypocrites. If, if, if you believed in Moses, genuinely, you would believe in me. We have no king but Caesar. That's the truth. You know what I mean? But no, it ain't actually the truth. They are their own king. You know what I'm saying? And it's a bit like Jesus and the devil, remember? The devil's saying, oh, do this, jump off there, or turn the, food, turn the thing into, into food. And Jesus ain't responding the way he wants, and then he fundamentally says what he means. He says, bow down and worship me. See, and then we, see, and then we, we, have, that, we have that same attitude. We want to be, I don't want no one, tell, don't tell me what to do. I don't want no one telling me what I must, and I mustn't do. Don't tell me. Don't, don't. I don't want you to be God. I want to be God. And that's how the devil got, the, got Adam and Eve in the garden. He says, you know what, you eat the fruit. Because guess what? Because when you eat the fruit, you'll be just like God. And fundamentally, that's what we all want. But it's not what we need, trust me. So Pilate, held to ransom, verse 16, says, so he delivered him over to them to the soldiers to be crucified see and this brings us to my final verse and my final statement this whole book has been about what they said earlier we don't want this man to be our king we don't want this man to rule over us this man thinks he's the son of God he's not the son of God but that's the whole point of John's book John says in chapter 20, verse 31, in summary, he says, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the very, the very thing, the very one that they're telling you he isn't to the point where they will murder him, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You act like these guys, then you're not going to have life. But if you and me will recognize, like Caiaphas, like the people, like Pilate, we're all sinful. In different ways. We all want to be God. But if we will humble ourselves and recognize, you know, Jesus, he is the son. Jesus is. Jesus is the lamb. Jesus is the king. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. As I invite as I invite the band if they're still here to come join me. Heavenly Father, we are coming up to Easter. And thank you because this this portion of John 
begins to lead us up to, I say Good Friday. It's already Good Friday in the text. This whole second half of the book of John covers just the, the, the final week of the Lord Jesus. That's why it's so detailed. And we thank you, Father, for this detail. Thank you. Thank you for John, who was the one that Jesus loved, as he referred to. The one who was probably the closest to Jesus out of all the disciples. Thank you, Father, that John gives us this sweet insight to the Savior. Helping us to be convinced that Jesus is the Son of God. And today, Father, I think, I think the text clearly shows us that Jesus is also the Lamb. And Jesus is also the King. You're anointed, the one that you were determined to send, the one that was anticipated for centuries, for millennia even, has come. And it's Jesus. And they rejected him. Father, we look back at that amazing story, the, 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 the most wonderful, the most amazing story of all time, the greatest story ever told. And Father, what, how do we respond to, G, to Jesus? Imagine, I've never seen a king act like this in my life. Wash feet, stoop down and, and touch lepers. Be kind to a, a woman who has had multiple relationships that everyone rejects. Yet Jesus has time for, Jesus has love for. I've never seen a king like this. He's a king without a robe. Yet in our story, they gave him one as they mocked him. Father, help us not to mock. And even if we don't mock with our words, oh yeah, 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 he's not the son of God. Jesus, this, oh, the Bible, what? Church, forget that. Even though we don't mock like that, Father, we do mock when we reject Jesus. When we choose to live our own lives, to run our own lives, to rule our own lives, why will not be governed by another is our mantra. Lord, help us to submit. Help us to give in and bow the knee. Because, Lord, the real truth is, which of us is strong? We're all weak. We're all weak. We confront in front of people. But, Lord, in our bedroom on our own when we lay our, our head down and we go to sleep at night we confess our weaknesses silently in our hearts we can't we can deceive others but we cannot deceive ourselves Lord God would you help us to bow the knee to King Jesus because he's your son He's the king that you anointed. He's the king that you determined. And it, it's a reflection of who you are, Father. Jesus, he's such a wonderful king. Would you remind us today also that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Father, I need my sins taken away because I can't face to have to, have to confront you on that day knowing that I'm a sinful man. Lord, would you forgive us you cleanse us from our sin Lord and give us that peace that, peace that only you can provide 
in the name of Jesus. I pray. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.